Hello there. My name is Father John Harrison. I'm a rector superior of St. John Newman Residence at Stellamaris in Timonium, Maryland. It might seem to a modern reader that Matthew chose an extraordinary way in which to begin his gospel. Today's gospel reading is the very beginning of Matthew. It might seem daunting to the present, right in the beginning, a long long list of names to wade through. But to a Jew, this was the most natural, the most interesting, and indeed the most essential way to begin the story of any person's life. The Jews were exceedingly interested in genealogies. Matthew calls this the book of the generation, Biblos Genesios, of Jesus Christ. That to the Jews was a common phrase, and it meant the record of a man's lineage, with a few explanatory sentences where such comment was necessary. In the Old Testament, we frequently find lists of the generations of famous men. When Josephus, the great Jewish historian, wrote his own autobiography, he began it with his own pedigree, which he tells us he found in public records. The reason for this interest in pedigrees was that the Jews set the greatest possible store on purity of lineage. If in any man there was the slightest admixture of foreign blood, he lost his right to be called a Jew and a member of the people of God. A priest, for instance, was bound to produce an unbroken record of his pedigreed stretching back to Aaron. And if he married, the woman he married must produce her pedigree for at least five generations back. When Ezra was reorganizing the worship of God after the people returned from exile and was setting the priesthood to function again, the children of Habibiah, the children of Koz, and the children of Barzillai were bar- disbarred from office and were labeled as polluted because these sought their registration among those enrolled in the genealogies, but they were not found there. These genealogical records were actually kept by the Sanhedrin. Herod the Great was always despised by the pure-blooded Jews because he was half an Edomite, and we can see the importance that even Herod attached to these genealogies from the fact that he had the official registers destroyed so that no one could prove a purer pedigree than his own. This may seem to us an uninteresting passage, but to the Jew it, it is the most impressive matter that a pedigree of Jesus could be traced back to Abraham. It is further noted that this pedigree is almost carefully arranged. It is arranged in three groups of 14 people each. It is, in fact, what is technically known as a mnemonic, that is, to say a thing so arranged that it is easy to memorize. It was always to be remembered that the Gospels were written hundreds of years before they were uh, any such thing as a printed book. The very few people who were able to own actual copies of them 
and so if they wished to possess them, they were compelled to memorize them. This pedigree, therefore, is arranged in such a way that it is easy to memorize. It is meant to prove that Jesus was the son of David and so arranged as to make it easier for people to carry it in their memories. There is something symbolic of the whole of human life in a way in which this pedigree is arranged. It is arranged in three sections, and the three sections are based on three great stages in Jewish history. The first section takes the history down to David. David was the man who welded Israel into a nation and made the Jews a power in the world. The first section takes the story to the rise of Israel's greatest king. The second section takes the story down to the exile to Babylon. It is the section which tells of the nation's shame and tragedy and disaster. The third section takes the story down to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the person who liberated men from their slavery and who rescued them from their disaster and who, in whom the tragedy was turned into triumph. These three sections stand for three stages in the spiritual history of humankind. First, man was born for greatness. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Man was created in the image of God. God's dream for man was a dream of greatness. Man was designed for fellowship with God. He was created that he might be nothing less than kin to God. As Cicero, the Roman thinker, saw it, the only difference between man and God is a point in time. Man was essentially man born to be king. Second, man lost his greatness. Instead of being the servant of God, man became the slave of sin. As G.K. Chesterton said, Whatever else is true of man, man is not what he was meant to be. He used his free will to defy and to disobey God, rather than to enter into friendship and fellowship with him. Left to himself, man has frustrated the design and plan of God in his creation. Third, Man can regain his greatness. Even then, God did not abandon man to himself and to his own devices. God did not allow man to be destroyed by his own folly. The end of the story is not left to be tragedy. In this world, God sent his Son, Jesus Christ, that he might rescue man from the morass of sin in which he had lost himself, and liberate him from the chains of sin with which he had bound himself, so that through him man might regain the fellowship with God which he lost. In his genealogy, Matthew shows us the royalty of kingship gains, the tragedy of freedom lost, and the glory of liberty restored. And that, in the mercy of God, is the story of mankind and of each individual person. This is our story for today. May God bless you and have a great day.